Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to a History of Italy special episodes. Special episode 1, the 2018 Italian election. As mentioned in the last episode, we're going to leave the Lombards as they try and finally get a grip on the whole of the Italian peninsula while diplomatically battling the Pope and, at the same time, nervously looking over their shoulder at the Franks. This is because I thought it would be interesting to follow some history in the making. On the 4th of March 2018, the Italian people voted in an election to elect a new parliament, and it has been a groundbreaking election that has led some journalists to speak of a third republic. This is after the first republic, which lasted from the founding of the Italian Republic in 1946 to the Tangentopoli, or City of Bribes scandal, that rocked Italy in the early 90s and saw the breaking up of long-lasting traditional parties such as the Christian Democrats and the Socialist parties and the formation of new ones. Now, this situation, which lasted until, well, I suppose the day before yesterday, has changed once again. In some people's opinion, we're looking at a brave and promising new world. For others, we're on the brink of catastrophe. For yet others, it's our usual Italian mess. We do not directly elect a president or a prime minister. The president of the republic is elected by an acting parliament, and it is his, or it would be about time, her job to choose a prime minister based on the results of the election, usually assigning the task of forming a government to the leader of the party or coalition with the most votes. The president of the republic is more of a figure like the queen than the president of the USA, but he or she is quite important in certain moments. As we just said, it's their job to try and sort things out after an election by choosing who to assign the job of forming a government to. Furthermore, after a law has been through Parliament, the President of the Republic must sign it for it to become official. And in the past, Presidents have exercised their right not to do so, sending the law back to Parliament for changes or to be scrapped completely. So, as I was saying, we elect a Parliament. The Italian Parliament is made up of the Chamber of Deputies with 630 seats and the Senate with 320. They act in the exact same way and a proposal has to pass through both to become law. These numbers were determined by a proportion. Initially, there was one member of the Chamber for every 80,000 inhabitants and one senator for every 200,000. The number was then fixed in 1963. There has been talk of reducing the number of members of parliament to reduce costs, while supporters of the status quo see it as a way of guaranteeing greater representation. The electoral law that was used on 4th of March 2018 is nicknamed the Rosatellum from the name of the person who wrote it. It was an attempt to clean up 
a rather messy situation that had come from the fact that the previous attempt to modify the electoral law had been partially modified and made complicated by a court ruling. Before that attempt, there was a system who was nicknamed the porcellum, something you could translate into a pig's ear, as in to make a pig's ear of something. The name was given to it by the person that actually came up with it, a member of a party called the Northern League. His name was Roberto Calderoli. He claimed that it had been modified from how he initially intended it. Anyway, the Dior actually used this time around was a mix of a first-past-the-post and a proportional system. Indeed, 37% of seats, which mean 232 in the chamber and 116 at the Senate, were assigned using the first-past-the-post system, which meant that whoever got the most votes in that constituency got the seats. 61% of the remaining seats, which means 386 in the chamber and 193 in the Senate, are assigned on a proportional basis. That means, for example, that if a party gets 25% of the votes, they will get 25% of the 61 remaining seats, no matter what they got in the first past the post. The last 2%, if you actually got a calculator with you, is assigned proportionally according to the vote of the Italians abroad. Got that? The adjective Machiavellian does come to mind. Also consider that I only skirted over the surface of the details of the system. Now you may have been taking notes, so you can impress people with your knowledge of the Italian electoral system the next time you go to a dinner party. I don't want to burst your bubble here, but we may have changed the electoral law again the next time you have a dinner party. Also because one of the options at the moment is to form a government simply for the purpose of changing the electoral law. Personally, I voted. I believe that it is our duty and not only our right as a citizen. So, I've been voting for about 22 years now in Italy, and I think I've lost count of how many times I've voted in national, local, regional and European elections and the numerous referendums. This brings us to consider the debate between the merit of a proportional and a first-past-the-post system. Indeed, a proportional electoral system does allow for greater representation, but one statistic stands out among all others. 64 governments in 70 years. Anyway, let's have a look now at the organizations which were involved in the recent election. We'll start from the far left and make our way around looking at the major parties, we have to do this because the groups registered to be voted for were 103, although many of them only appeared in certain areas, so the average voter only had to choose between a dozen or so. Many of these magically appeared just before the elections. The supporters of this phenomenon point to the fact that this allows for greater representation once again. Indeed, it is said that in Italy, for everyone to feel truly represented, you would have to have a party for every citizen. The detractors point out that these lists are there to catch votes slipping away from the major parties to bring them back by participating in coalitions, and then perhaps have the power for manoeuvre afterwards. 
However, the three percent cutoff rate means that many didn't get a single seat. The first we'll look at is the LEU, Liberi ed uguali, free and equal. They are an offshoot group from the PD, Democratic Party. They broke off, claiming that the leader of the PD, Matteo Renzi, has personalized the party too much, making it coincide with his own image. Some of the most prominent members of the LEU are the old guard of the centre-left, such as ex-Prime Minister Massimo D'Alema. Then we get to the PD itself. PD, as we said, stands for Partito Democratico or Democratic Party, and indeed it is similar to position and tone to the US Democratic Party or the Labour Party in the UK, although it is actually the result of a long metamorphosis of a part of the old Communist Party. The acting Italian Prime Minister, Paolo Gentiloni, is a member of this party. The PD reached its peak in consensus in the last few years, which, with the current electoral process, could have allowed them to govern on their own. The party leader, called the secretary, is Matteo Renzi. He gained a lot of support early on in his campaign as a rottamatore, a wrecker of the old order, of the centre-left, which eventually allowed him to win the party primary and become the leader and later the prime minister. His downfall came when he tried to pass a substantial reform of the parliament and tied it to his own political destiny, saying that he would step aside if he lost, which he did. The supporters of the party see them as a responsible force for good government, while the detractors see them as a self-serving organization of the establishment and they have had some issues tied to bank bailout scandals. The PD were in a sort of coalition, but with very minor parties. Now, for the next group, although I said I'd go from left to right, I'm not really sure you could comfortably place it in any particular position in the political spectrum. I'm talking about the populist five-star movement. I use the term movement because the group itself refuses to be placed beside the traditional parties whom they view as the corrupt legacy of the old republic and have ruined the country. The group is relatively new, having been founded in 2009. This came a few years after the unofficial launch that was called the Vaffa Day, basically the F-Off Day, in which great crowds gathered together to protest the general social, economic and political situation in the country at a rally by the founder. Indeed, the movement was founded by the comedian and political activist Beppe Grillo. Now, the word Grillo in Italian can either mean cricket or a child's term to identify a penis. So, the members of the movement weren't too thrilled when, at first, they were referred to as the Grillini, which could translate into something like the little penises. In time, they came to be the Pentastellati, the five stars, although some people still use the old term. Their main mission was to eradicate what they saw as a corrupt system dominated by traditional parties. They promote a modern approach to politics, using online voting to select candidates and leading the way in Italy in the use of social media. 
They had some early successes on a local level, winning the election, for example, in the city of Parma, and more recently in Rome. In the last election in 2013, they won a number of seats, only around 14 percent, but enough to be courted by the PD, who asked them to be part of a coalition government. During a meeting that they insisted be streamed live, they stayed true to their position of never compromising by making alliances with established parties. They have maintained their strong position in favor of transparency and honesty, although they have started to show a few cracks here and there. One interesting episode regarded the salaries of the members of parliament. Now, one of their issues. Has been that the members of the parliament in Italy are grossly overpaid, which is true if you compare it to the average parliament salary in the EU. The five-star members pledged to put aside a part of their salaries to help the small and medium-sized businesses, and the majority of members did exactly that. As soon as they would receive their pay, they would send off a bank order to this fund. Unfortunately, some of them. Fourteen, in all it seems, would then immediately cancel that bank order. Now, from a legal point of view, there was nothing wrong. Morally, especially from a group that has made a point of promoting transparency and honesty, it looked pretty bad. Their candidate for prime minister is Luigi Di Maio, a man who is only thirty-one years old. So now, let's head over to the right. Where、well, we have another coalition made up of three relatively important players and a fourth who nobody really remembers, including possibly the people that are actually in it. The first of these has the merit of being the only significant party that is headed by a woman, Giorgia Meloni. Their position and general style. And behaviour is perhaps a little closer to other right-wing conservative parties, such as the Conservative Party in the UK or the Republicans in the US, albeit on the right rather than the centre of these positions. On the other hand, their numbers are far from being a majority party. Now, here's where things get a little more surreal. The next significant member of the centre-right coalition is. The League, headed by Matteo Salvini, this party actually started life as the Northern League, which aimed at bringing greater advantages to the rich industrial North and detaching it from what they viewed as a parasitic South and national government. Their position reached the point of organizing a mostly symbolic referendum for the North to secede from the South. There is a lot to say. About the north-south divide in Italy, and perhaps we'll dedicate another episode or episodes to it. In the recent election, the League dropped the northern part of their name and took a more nationalistic stance, maintaining anti-immigration and anti-European policy. Now, with this coalition, I've saved the most interesting for last. The party is Forza Italia, which you could translate with "Go Italy." No comment really needed on the name and the leader of the party, perhaps the most controversial figure in Italian history since Benito Mussolini, Silvio Berlusconi. Now, not only could we dedicate a whole episode to this man, not only a mini series, but perhaps a whole podcast series. 
Maybe we'll get around to doing that. Maybe not a whole podcast series, but a little bit more time. For the moment, we'll be content with pointing out that although Berlusconi's name was on the symbol that people voted for, although he was all over state and his own personal TV stations, and despite the fact that he saw himself and was seen by many as the leader of his party and the coalition, the fact that he has been previously found guilty and served a sentence of community service for tax fraud meant that he was not eligible to be elected. So, he will hold no office whatsoever or have a seat neither in the House nor in the Senate. As I said, we'll stop there. If you've just come back from a long trip to Mars and don't actually know who Berlusconi is, I really suggest you Google him a little. Before we finally move on to results, just a quick look further right to the far-right Casa Pound party, the House of Pound, after the poet Ezra Pound and his apparent closeness to fascism. I mentioned the group because it seemed that the old rivalry between fascism and anti-fascism, always strong in the past in Italy, was resurfacing with clashes between far-right and far-left groups. However, the results have shown that it wasn't as big an issue as it was made out to be. So, I hear you clamoring impatiently. Give us the result. Who won? Tell us. Well, here it is. You ready? I don't know. You could say that the Five Star Movement and the Lega, the League, did very well. Indeed, the protest Five Star Movement is the party with the highest percentage of votes with around 30%. The Lega has obtained a historical 17.4% as a party in their coalition, which got 37% globally. But... What is most important, they have overtaken Berlusconi's Forza Italia, which only reached 14%, making the leader of the League, Matteo Salvini, the leader and reference point of the coalition. Some people are saying that Berlusconi is finished. But people have been saying that for about 20 years, so don't really count him out until he's actually finished living. Anyway, back to the results. The PD instead did very poorly, going under the psychological level of 20% at 18.7, forcing Matteo Renzi to sort of resign, in the sense that he has announced his resignation, but only after the new parliament and government is in place. On the far left, the LEU did rather poorly, only just reaching the 3% level that will allow them to have seats in parliament. One of its historical members, Massimo D'Alema, as we said, considered the eminence grige behind the left over the last 20 years, has lost his seat in Parliament. On the far right, Casa Pound didn't even reach 1%, putting the fears of a neo-fascist insurgents to rest. Although, for critics of the League, Salvini's party is quite extreme enough. So, to summarise... You could say that the Five Star Movement and the League are winners, that Berlusconi, the PD and LEU are losers. Having said this, no one party or coalition has the numbers to form a majority and government. Furthermore, 
we have an interesting turn of events. Until very recently, the Cinque Stelle, five-star movement, categorically refused to consider alliances with anyone else, while all the other forces were open to the idea. Now, after the elections, the five stars are willing to talk to anyone and everyone, and all the others are categorically refusing. Sort of. Because Renzi, the secretary of the PD, is refusing, but some of his party aren't. On the right, Salvini, Berlusconi and Meloni of Fratelli d'Italia, being the coalition with the most votes and seats, now coalition, mind you, the party with the most is still the five stars, so the centre-right being the coalition with the most seats, reckon they should be the first to try and form a government. Although no one can really see where they could get the extra 56 seats they need to have a majority in Parliament. Although, bringing fugitive members of Parliament into his group is one of Silvio Berlusconi's specialties, and one of the reasons he has been under investigation. So, what now? Well, it's all in the hands of the President of the Republic, Sergio Mattarella. And it's his job to assign the task of trying to form a majority in Parliament, which means, for example, reaching at least 316 seats in a House of 630. Perhaps the most plausible notion at the moment seems to be a five-star government supported by the PD, or else the League, who, however, has so far refuted this option. We can only wait and see. The only real conclusion we can draw now? It's complicated. One positive aspect was voter turnout. Indeed, there was a great fear that disaffection with politics would see a free-falling percentage of people voting, but a decent 73% turned out. I would say that nothing will ever be the same again, but we're in Italy, and the author Tommasi di Lampedusa once wrote, Se vogliamo che tutto rimanga com'è, bisogna che tutto cambi. If we want everything to stay the way it is, everything needs to change. Anyway, I hope you found this digression interesting. We skip forward a good millennium and a quarter, and in the next episode, we'll finally have the Franks getting serious about things. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Remember that if you want to ask any questions, both about this episode and about the podcast in general, you can write at hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. On the website, the same URL, you can click through to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel with our mini docs on Italian cities or have a look at some of the resources which include a timeline, some maps and a reading list. Thanks again very much for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. 
and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.